G'day and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national union news program bringing you workers' stories and discussion on social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the nation by the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. The TPP, or the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is a trade deal negotiated in secret initially by 12 countries around the Pacific Rim. When Trump was elected in the USA, it pulled out, but the remaining 11 countries finally secured a deal this year. Now in Australia, the Parliament is considering the local legislation required to pass the treaty. While the Senate crossbench have indicated they would not provide the support needed, the Labor Party has moved to support the bill, leading to widespread backlash from unions. This week on the show, we speak with the National Secretary of the ETU, Alan Hicks, about what's in the deal and why unions are against it. We also head to Tasmania, where we speak with the CFM-MEU about the group of Chinese plasterers who took wildcat action in response to wage theft and sham contracting at Tasmania's largest construction project, the Hobart Hospital. But first, some union news. Turkish police detained more than 400 construction workers at the building site of the new Istanbul airport last week. The arrest followed strikes and protests against the shocking working and living conditions at the site. Turkish police used water cannons, tear gas and baton charges to break up the protests before paramilitary police conducted midnight raids of the workers' dormitories, rounding up union leaders and other workers. Of the 400 workers initially detained, dozens remain in custody, facing charges of obstructing public servants, damaging public property, possessing weapons and violating the law on public assemblies as well as disrupting the freedom to work. The workers were protesting conditions described by Amnesty International as inhumane. The International Trade Union Confederation reports that more than 40 workers have been killed during construction, which is roughly one per month since the project started. Thousands of workers have also reported not being paid for more than six months. The new airport is a giant endeavour with more than 20,000 workers involved in its construction. And while the airport is only weeks away from opening, it is expected that works will continue on site for another decade. The president of Turkey's Progressive Union of Construction Workers, Özgür Karabalut, has described the site as a kind of prison. He went on to say that workers can't sleep because of cockroaches in the dormitories and they can't eat the food because it contains worms. Subcontractors save money on everything to make a profit, from helmets to shoes. The problem is not unique to the airport construction, he said, saying that all the state's mega-projects have the same problems. When the workers ask for rights, they are beaten, gassed and detained. Istanbul's local government has also banned all public protests on the issue, with workers again being beaten by riot police in the streets. The workers are now forced to work under the oppressive eye of the very same police force which broke their strike, while new workers from the political stronghold of Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan are now being brought in to replace those the state-owned media are now describing as provocateurs and terrorists. The Morrison government has ignored calls from unions and civil society organisations to raise the New Start allowance by $75 a week. They have instead raised it by a pathetic $2.20 a week, lifting it to just over $275. The rise represents a 0.8% increase to the payment, which is still far below the CPI at 2.1%, meaning unemployed workers will continue to fall behind and struggle to make ends meet. The ACTU and the Australian Council of Social Services have been calling for an immediate increase of $75 a week. A recent report indicated such an increase would result in the creation of more than 10,000 jobs, because a rise in the payment would be largely returned to the economy as consumer spending, lifting demand for both goods and services. It's been more than 20 years since there's been a real increase to the New Start payment. Now, even some business lobbyists and hard-right politicians like John Howard are calling for an increase, but the government continues to stigmatise unemployed workers. 
The low level of the New Start payment entrenches disadvantage and drives the unemployed into poverty, with many unemployed workers saying that the payment is so low they can't even afford to pay for public transport to go to job interviews. Following the announcement, ACTU President Michelle O'Neill said, New Start is a safety net, not a punishment. People who are out of work have done nothing wrong and deserve support, not poverty and scorn from a government full of wealthy and entitled people. A Senate committee has handed down a report into the future of work. It looks particularly at the effect the rise of the gig economy is having on workers' rights. The report called for changes to the way the word employee is defined to ensure that gig economy workers are classified as employees and not contractors. The on-demand or gig economy companies characterise their workers as contractors to circumvent basic workplace rights, like minimum wages, penalty rates, sick leave and superannuation. The committee also called for a review of the definition of casual workers in an effort to combat the rampant use of so-called permanent casuals, workers who work full-time hours but without the protection or rights of permanent employees. The rise of this type of insecure work is being used by bosses to drive down costs and make sure workers remain scared for their jobs. With industrial relations likely to be a battlefield during the next federal election, many of the committee's recommendations are in line with the demands being outlined in the ACTU's Change the Rules campaign. The committee has also called for a national licensing scheme for labour hire employers. In the absence of support for such a scheme from the federal government, the state governments of Queensland, Victoria and South Australia have taken it upon themselves and passed state-level licensing systems in response to the widespread abuse of labour hire employees. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the TPP, is a trade deal that was negotiated in secret by 12 national governments, including Australia, and the cashed-up lobbyists for multinational business, but without any input from unions or environmental advocates. As you would expect, the deal contains a number of destructive provisions that put corporate interests above the public interest. Last week, Labor joined the Liberal Party to pass legislation required to enable the New Deal through the lower house of Parliament. This has led to widespread backlash from unions that say the TPP is a disaster for workers. We spoke with Alan Hicks, who's the National Secretary of the Electrical Trades Union, to hear just how bad this deal is for workers. The ETU came out strongly against the move by the Federal Labor Party to lend its support to the legislation facilitating the TPP. What's in the TPP that most concerns the Electrical Trades Union? got three areas of significant concern. The first is the fact that it still contains uh, ISDS provisions, which means obviously the Australian government can be sued by multinational corporations. The second part is this free trade agreement allows another six countries to be exempt from labour market testing. So workers from Vietnam, Malaysia, Japan, Canada, Mexico and Chile can come and work in this country, even if there's Australians uh, that are ready, able and you know, qualified to do that work. And the third part is in the electrical industries, We've got really strong concerns about the uh, skills assessments that these workers, when they come from overseas in a temporary arrangement, um, the actual assessment of their skills. And, and Alan, can you go into that in a little bit more detail? The ETU also came out strongly against the China-Australia free trade agreement for similar reasons. Just what's in the TPP that poses a safety risk to workers on particularly construction sites? If you've got a worker from any of those countries, let's say, Vietnam um, that wants to come and permanently migrate to Australia um, to work as an electrician. Before they're even allowed to enter their enter our country, they've actually got to get their skills assessed 
overseas to make sure they meet all the necessary skills and qualifications of the experience to undertake electrical work in our country. And if they don't uh, meet those requirements, they won't get a visa to permanently migrate to Australia. On the flip side of it, the TPP allows you know those countries that I listed before to come to Australia to undertake electrical work in a temporary capacity. And the difference here is when they come to Australia, uh, they're granted a visa to enter the work on a temporary basis, but the same level of rigour isn't applied to those workers from an electrical assessment perspective. And what we're finding is most of these workers that are coming from overseas aren't actually having to go through a formal process, a formal testing arrangement. So it's a really unique situation where you want to come and live in this country permanently. You've got to tick all the boxes, do everything as per the Australian standard. But if you want to come and work in this country on a temporary visa under a free trade agreement, your skills aren't assessed in the same level. Shifting now to the ISDS provisions, you mentioned earlier that the ETU has concerns about ISDS in the free trade agreement. Can you explain to listeners what ISDS is and why it's a problem? Yeah, the ISDS is a, uh, a mechanism in the free trade agreement which provides an ability for a, a company or, a, or an interested party that's part of the free trade agreement to actually sue the respective governments if there's a change in legislation or if there's a change in process or procedures which may have the capacity to impact the earnings of that particular corporation. One of the most classic examples uh, in recent times is Philip Morris, the tobacco manufacturer, when the Australian government introduced cigarette plane packaging laws. Philip Morris tried to sue the Australian government and whilst on this occasion the Australian federal government was successful in defending it, it still costs Australian taxpayers I think something like 35 million dollars to defend that case. The concern with the ISDS is around legislation around industrial relations. If we make changes to our legislation here which suits the Australian people, you could potentially have a massive multinational corporation from an overseas country suing the Australian government because they allege that it's going to have some impact on their ability to earn money. And it's it's basically the ISDS sells out your sovereignty. It, it doesn't give the Australian government the right to legislate for the Australian people because they will be at risk of being sued by some of these um, multinational corporations. Focusing right in on that, what does Labor's support for the TPP mean for the Change the Rules campaign, which is clearly about changing these laws to make them more favourable for workers and to try and lift wage growth out of all-time lows? Well, I'm, um, I was absolutely gobsmacked when uh, Labor, through Jason Clare, indicated that they were going to give um, support for the enabling legislation to allow the TPP to come into effect. It's in direct contrast to what we're trying to achieve in the, the Change the Rules campaign. The Change the Rules campaign is all about trying to ensure that workers are best placed to get what they rightfully deserve uh, through a whole range of processes, whether it be legislative and, uh, and others. For Labor to allow the enabling legislation to go through, which still allows our government to be sued through the ISDS, which allows workers to come from overseas to undertake the work that could be done by Australians and allow workers into this country without a, a rigorous skills assessment, you really got to scratch your head and wonder why they would do that. And it, it is, in, as I said, in direct contrast to what we're trying to achieve through the, through the Change the Rules campaign. And Labor, in particular, could have got up on its pedestal and you know completely opposed those worst elements of the TPP and made an election issue and really challenged the Liberals on who's going to be best placed to look after the job security of Australians and protecting Australian workers. And I just think they had a, a, a massive mandate to go to the Australian people and run that as an election issue. And unfortunately, they've um, chose to support it. And even more strangely, the Senate committee, which is dominated by Labor and a crossbench, just handed down a report criticising those things that you've spoken about, the lack of labour market testing, the ISDS scheme, 
yet the Labor Party plans to wave through the deal when it's in front of the Senate in October. Furthermore, the deal appears to contain several provisions which are in contravention of Labor's own party platform. Just what's going on up in Canberra? How has the party come to this position? Um, to be bluntly honest, some within the Labor Party should hang their head in shame because they get up and they make this impassioned speech about you know why they why we shouldn't support the TPP, but in the next breath they vote for it. So. They've got to have a hard, good hard look at themselves and really consider who they're representing in the scheme of things. Um, there's obviously a ALP national conference coming up at the end of this year and we'll use whatever influence we have and I, I'm sure that the other unions will use whatever influence they have to try and strengthen the platform to ensure that it is without any hesitation, without any doubt about what you know future free trade agreements have got to have. And... You know, Claire has got to take some responsibility with respect to this issue as well because he's the minister responsible, shadow minister responsible for this, and I believe they could have done a lot more. Um, it's all very honourable to say what they're going to do when they're in government and how they're going to wind things back. But the thing with the TPP for your listeners is quite clearly that it's an agreement between several parties, and if you want to change something with Vietnam or you want to change something with Malaysia, Japan, Canada, Mexico, Chile, whoever they, whoever they may be, it's not just that the Australian government can turn up and say, well, we want this changed. It's got to be a situation where the other country that's party to this agreement has to agree as well. And there's no guarantees that the other countries are going to agree um, to side letters on the ISDS or around labour mobility or around strengthening the skills assessments. There's no guarantees about that whatsoever. And if they do agree on something like that, what are we going to trade off to get it? Critics of the TPP have said that it's less about trade and more about providing business and large investors with more rights and primacy over federal governments. Why then are the Liberal Party and others so hell-bent on signing an agreement that appears to limit their own powers in Parliament? Well, at the, at the end of the day, um, let's not kid ourselves, the Liberal Party in particular uh, are beholden to the big end of town, the multinational corporations, which you know, line their coffers with donations year in, year out to try and keep them in, in government. And, you know, they're the, they're the servants of the federal government, the federal liberal government are the servants of the big end of town. And through these TPPs, it's quite clear that corporations will have the capacity to make enormous amounts of profits um, because they're obviously the, the exchange of goods and services between countries is going to be lowered through tariff, which is a good thing. But also, it's going to allow a significant amounts of labour mobility between countries. And, and that's where... Obviously, we have genuine concerns, and if anyone's been living in this country for, for the last five years, they'll see that uh, migrant workers have been exploited time and time again by corporations, and it's going to continue to keep occurring while you know the federal Liberal government and others are going to allow vast amounts of workers to come into this country without appropriate assessments, and, and that's, a, that's a sad state of affairs. You know, like A worker, no matter where they are, whether they're from Vietnam or from Australia, should have the same rights, the same labour rights, and they should be respected, and they should be provided with all the courtesies that they deserve to undertake their duties. But, you know, multinational corporations are just hell-bound on driving the maximum amount of profit they can out of every project and job that they're involved in, and, and the TPP gives them another way of reducing their costs and maximising their profits. More of the listeners, more of the Australian community need to be fully conversant on what these free trade deals mean to them and their families and the future of this country. And it's now time for people to make themselves fully familiar with it because if there's ever free trade agreements into the future, then we want to make sure that you know, both sides of politics fully understand that if they're going to do a deal like Chapter, they're going to do a deal like TPP, then the Australian community is going to get up and they're going to really hold those political parties to account. So hopefully through this process, people can... It resonates widely within the community and people can make themselves more familiar with what these free trades really are about and um, make sure that political parties get a clear message. 
Alan Hicks, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks, mate. You're listening to Stick Together, right around the country on the Community Radio Network. We now head to Tasmania, where a group of Chinese plasterers made national news last week, walking off the job at the Hobart Hospital after not being paid for several weeks. We spoke with one of the CFM-MEU's Tasmanian officials, Kevin Harkins, who told us more. The Royal Hobart Hospital Development Project is the largest job that we've ever had in Tasmania. It's a project that's worth about $700 million. A lot of the Uh, or most actually, of the local uh, contractors, including the plasterers in this circumstance, couldn't cope with a job of that size. So a Victorian company was brought in to do the work. Now, we had a local agreement signed with the company and they employed about 30 local Tasmanian plasterers and labourers and few apprentices, which is terrific. But unfortunately, because the labour force down here is is stretched at the moment, they uh, couldn't fully load the job up with local labour, so they brought some people over from Victoria. And those people were, um, in the main, Chinese nationals. We in Tasmania at the time didn't understand that there was a fairly different operating model for Chinese plasterers, if I could put it that way. So um, when they arrived on the site, things were going along quite well initially. And then we had some problems with uh, the structure that they put in place. But, and basically the job uh, went downhill from there. So can you tell us how many of them there are and what you think they're owed? The, um, the union came down and did an audit. We had um, a specialist come down from Melbourne and we worked it out to be just under $1.5 million, including entitlements. That was also including some lost time for the local contractors. It's difficult to put a very firm figure on what the Chinese labour component was owed, given that all of them were either ABN holders, so they'd set themselves up as individual companies, which they're made to do, um, and there was quite a few that were also being paid cash as well. Um, The Chinese... um, set themselves up as groups. They have a recruitment person at the top of the tree who we call a gang boss, and the gang boss recruits the Chinese workers, um, usually visa holders on a whole range of different visas, including student visas. And the gang boss basically pays the employees and the company pays the gang boss. Now, it's highly illegal, obviously. Um, It breaches the uh, Liberal government's own building code. But as we know, the ABCC, who were supposed to police these things, spend more time uh, chasing union officials down down holes because we swear on a building site. You mentioned that many of these Chinese plasterers are on some form of temporary visa. The visa system is meant to ensure that migrant workers are getting the same paying conditions as everybody else. What's gone wrong in this instance? A wonderful learning experience for someone that's been in the union movement for 30 years. Visa holders, for some reason that the government will need to explain eventually, are able to get an ABN. And you can get an ABN off the internet. You don't have to do anything special to get one. You just apply. And then they're employed, obviously, under you know sham contracting arrangements because that's what it is. They're set up as a sham contractor. And they pay them an hourly rate. And that can be anywhere from, um, on this particular job, it was $16 an hour was the lowest, which was student visa holders. And some of the older... Uh, guys who actually had experience in the industry and there's a few that are qualified they were getting um, you know like $35 an hour but it was a flat rate no overtime no super no nothing um, no workers comp no anything else. So this isn't the first time a bunch of Chinese plasterers have been at the center of a wage scandal indeed even 
the first time at a hospital. A couple of years ago, there were plasterers that weren't paid while working on the construction of the Bendigo Hospital. The CFMMEU raised this issue with John Holland weeks ago down in Tasmania, but they've done nothing. How much of the blame for this exploitation lies with the head contractor? Oh, well, at all, at all of it. All of it lays with the head contractor. Um, I think it goes further than that. I think all of it lays with the federal government because you can't say you don't know it's happening um, right through the construction industry around the country. It's probably on a whole on the whole scale of things. In Tasmania, it's the best example of how um, how plasterers operate because down here they're all on wages or, or most of them are on wages. But this is a, an epidemic in the construction industry right across the country. All the major contractors that, that do work for government and, and obviously other jobs all know this occurs. It's, you can't say you don't know it's happening because they do. So when they um, engage this organisation from Melbourne, they or when the Chinese workers turned up on the job, John Holland would have been aware of the employment arrangements. And because it drives costs down, because obviously sham contracting is all about designed to drive costs down, they turn a blind eye to it. So, you know, and it was all going okay until, to be honest, until there was, you know, tension internally between the Chinese workers and, and their gang bosses. But I've got to, I want to say this too, as far as industrial action goes, the, I've never seen a group of workers stick together as solid as the Chinese guys did. When they didn't get paid, there was no way they were going back to work. And even though there was um, an attempt from within their own community to put pressure on them to return to work, they stood very strongly. And it was it was great to see, to be honest. What does this mean now for the workers? How do they get what they're owed? They're lucky because the CFMU obviously is, uh, you know, one of the more active unions in the country. Um, on this project, there's tight timeframes. There's a lot of pressure to get the job built. So basically, we've gone to John Holland as the major contractor and said, you've got this issue and you need to fix it. Through negotiation and discussion, there's an arrangement or there was an arrangement arrived at to make sure the Chinese workers were all paid based on the hours that they'd worked. From then, they'll be put on an enterprise agreement with the new employer and will be paid proper wages and conditions, including all the stuff that, you know, we've we've come to know and love superannuation, all the rest of it in Australia, and, and that's where we're at going forward. So the CFMMEU have obviously been putting in a lot of effort to support these plasterers. In contrast, can you tell us what the ABCC has done in the face of this employer unlawfulness? The, I want to say the CFMEU and its organisers, CFMMEU, <laughs> And our organisers in Tasmania have done little else for the last three weeks um, other than try and fix this job because it's about being on site, supporting the workers, answering their questions. There's obviously significant language barriers, communication barriers, which um, we've learnt to overcome. There's um, some of the Chinese workers now, I've got to say, we've, we've built wonderful relationships with them. They're fantastic people. So from that point of view, the unions worked very hard to get this outcome. Um, the ABCC turned up on the job on Tuesday morning for the first time with three inspectors, um, spoke to all the employees in their lunchroom, which we weren't happy about, and we've told John Holland that. Um, and then they came back again yesterday with five inspectors and were more proactive in trying to interview employees. Um, from our point of view, there was only a, a couple of people that actually um, bothered to speak to them. And we tried to in, uh, we informed our our members about what their rights are as far as the ABCC and interview processes go. Given that we know the ABCC um, record all conversations on site, 
But as far as outcome goes, they've delivered nothing, they've done nothing, and we don't expect them to do anything positive. And what's the focus of their investigation? Is it indeed the wage theft that has happened, or is it the industrial action that was taken by the Chinese plasterers when they'd finally had enough? What I was told was that it was about the induction process, because what we've had is John Holland have set up an, an agreement or a deal with the Master Builders Association to perform the induction. It's about $100 for each induction. There has been individual employees that have had to pay the induction fee themselves to the Master Builders Association. And outsourcing the induction process is actually a breach of the code, so that's another breach. And they told us they were going to have a look at that. But yeah, you know, on the whole, um, on the whole scheme of code breaches or illegal activity, um, while that's important, it's probably not the main issue. But that's the one. Um, I suppose if they go after that one, and you know, they can give the the builder a little slap over the wrist, then they'll be seen. They'll think they'll be have seen be seen to have done something, where in fact they've done really nothing to improve the industry. The industrial action stuff's interesting. I, I, I sort of hope the ABCC run with it a bit because. They weren't employees, they were sham contractors. A lot of them were, were cash paying, being paid cash. So from the point of view of all of that, they, they, they're technically not employees, they're small businesses. So I don't know, it'll be a really interesting question to see what would happen. And I, I think that the ABCC won't want to touch that because they know they'll end up with egg on their face and, and it'll be too difficult for them. So again, I've got to be honest and say, the union didn't organise the Chinese workers to stop work. We intervened after they'd made the decision because they hadn't been paid that they weren't going back to work themselves. So, you know, it was a great, you know, collective action by a group of workers. It was it was heartwarming. Really, it was. All right, Kevin, we might leave it there, but thank you very much for joining us on Stick Together. Uh, you're very welcome, Matt. Well, that's all we have time for this week on the show. Thanks again to Alan and Kevin for joining us. You can find out more about the TPP by heading to the website of the Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network at aftinet.org.au. That's A-F-T-I-N-E-T dot org dot A-U. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR with financial assistance from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The program is broadcast right around the country by the Community Radio Network. You can do your part to keep worker stories on the air by calling your local community radio station and subscribing today. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can call us on 03 9419 8377 or send us an email at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Stick Together Program. Let us know what you think of the show. We always love to get your feedback. The podcast of this and other recent episodes can be found by heading to 3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. And finally, remember, no matter where you are or what you do, there is a union for you. I'm Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together. Stick together.